Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 229. My name is Adam Patterson. Joining me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw on the mic. How are you, Kevin? Good. That's great to hear. This week on the show, we'll be talking about Zach Clark's latest little sister, alongside Kelly Reichardt's Certain Women. We'll also be talking about some other stuff we've been watching on the watch list, movie predictions, new on video on demand, Blu-ray releases. Let's just dive right in. At first. Let's That's get your little sister. Okay. This is written and directed by Zach Clark. I have a synopsis here. Young nun Colleen is avoiding all contact from her family. Returning to her childhood home in Asheville, North Carolina, she finds... Her old room exactly how she left it, painted black and covered in goth slash metal posters. Uh, yeah, that doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really do it. That that synopsis doesn't really do it. I mean, that synopsis is correct. It is. <laughs> it is correct. <laughs> just... Technically, technically, that does happen in the movie. That is, that is very correct. It also like points to like point two percent of the film. <laughs> yeah. But it also says, young nun Colleen is avoiding all contact from her family, comma, returning to her childhood home in Asheville County. I mean, it's just, by her returning to her childhood home, it would imply that she's actually not avoiding all contact with her family. Yeah. At first, she's avoiding all contact. Let's yes. Ju- let's just review the synopsis and not the movie. Let's do that. Li- let's do I that would from like now to. <laughs> From now on, I would love to pick apart the, some of these IMDb synopses. <laughs> I would love it. Uh, so this that's a whole new podcast. Yeah, would we'd have to spin it off. It'd have to be a spin-off podcast. So this stars Addison Timlin, Ali Sheedy, Keith Paulson, Barbara Crampton's in there. Yeah, Barbara Crampton. I think is continuing, now. continuing the Crampton Renaissance. She's in everything. I think. <laughs> uh, Check the I'm okay casting crew of every film from the last six years, and Barbara Crampton's in there. I'm perfectly okay with that. I love Barbara Crampton. There's just something about her that I just, I love to see her on screen. It's a, so, it's a welcoming presence. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just, I mean, I, lo- I love pretty much everything she's in, uh, except this movie. <laughs> it seems like you tipped your hand a little bit. I did, I did. <laughs> so, I think I'll start this one off, because I'm, I, I don't know, you've, I think you've only seen one other Zach Clark film is that correct you've seen white reindeer yeah that was it that was it that's it so i've seen so i've so in addition to white reindeer i've seen vacation and modern love is automatic and i love vacation love white reindeer uh modern love is automatic was fine that was that was one of his earlier um movies i think that was his first i think that was his first no it was the second movie um and i, I did not see his f- debut rock and roll eulogy that was the only one uh, so I was really excited for this one. I love his style, uh, but I was left feeling a bit meh on this one overall. I fa- I found it entertaining, but I just didn't. Uh, I-, I wasn't able to really grasp onto any of the characters. Uh, the fact that it takes place in 2008, so, so it's uh, during the Obama election, and it's it's got this kind of. Um, political charge to it with the the war in Iraq um and I just uh I don't know I just wasn't feeling it I was actually quite surprised with this one because I like I remember back to White Reindeer 
when I saw it, and I think we even discussed it on the podcast, and I was kind of like, that was eh, you know, but I've really grown to hate that movie. I don't know why. Like, if I think of that of that film, I just get mad. Oh, I still, I love it. I don't know why, but I hate that movie. I've really grown to hate that movie. So I was... I don't, I don't, I don't typically like cynical Christmas movies, but White Reindeer is just one that, I'd, yeah, I, I just, I think it's great. But this one, I was actually quite surprised. I actually enjoyed this for the most part. I, I'm completely with you there with the uh, the election stuff. It just seems so out of place. Yeah, it felt shoehorned, kind of. It's just, it didn't need to be there. I don't think. I don't know if they're just playing that into with the Keith Paulson character. I guess is what it. But I didn't even really understand. To me, it didn't feel necessary. Yeah, I felt like it didn't. It just didn't add too much to. The overall narrative. Uh, one thing that I thought was great about this movie was the performances, pretty much across the board from everybody. Oh, yeah. uh, really, really great performances from everybody involved. Um, Addison Timlin, she did she did a fantastic job. A lot of her, uh, it was sort of an understated character. She was she was kind of a, a conflicted character in this, and I liked the fact that a lot of her. Uh, a lot of her expression was was through uh, facial expressions and things like that. Like that, really, she really nailed that kind of those emotional cues. Yeah. And uh, with Keith Paulson, uh, what it doesn't say in the synopsis is the reason that she comes home. She so she's uh, trying to be a nun. She's not a full on nun yet. She's in in the it's in process in training. She's in, she's in nun training. Is that what they call and, it? Yeah. She's in nun training in New York. She's at the nunnery. And she goes home because her older brother, played by Keith Paulson, is uh, back from the war. He was injured and he has severe burns on his face. Yeah. And so she comes back to kind of see him and reconnect with uh, him and I guess maybe her, her family in general. Yeah. That was, that was a little, that was kind of one thing that I was wanting more with this was that I, I didn't quite, um, didn't quite connect with Addison Timlin's character in that I didn't, I didn't really know what her motivations were. I, I couldn't really pin her down as far as why she did the things that she did and why she left and, I don't know. I guess I just wanted a little bit more development from her character. Yeah, because the whole like reasoning that she left, it seemed like a huge, like a major plot point, but it wasn't really discussed. Which I mean, it makes sense if you think about it realistically. You don't really just right. dive, yeah, you straight in, dive straight into that when you're. It, it, yeah, it would feel yeah. it would feel too expository. Like it would just yeah. But it's just. Uh, uh, it's a, I, I mean, it's just slightly interesting because what drove her away and for her to, you know, leave her family for, what was it, like three years or something like that? They haven't seen her? Uh, you, yeah, I think so, yeah. And that you decide to be a nun? It's just, it's, it's quite interesting. I don't know, and I just didn't feel like that was really... Uh, and that's the dope. thing, like it's... They didn't really get into it that much. And it seemed like she was really really not not just goth but it seemed like she was pretty much a satanist i mean she had like the upside down cross the upside down crosses and i mean she was like full on yeah 
to take that kind of complete 180, it was confusing to me. I just I, I wanted a little bit more as far as exploring her character and her motivations. Yeah, especially considering that you leave your family because they're having... I, I'm trying to think of like a way to express it without giving away yeah. the reason that would drove her away. But, you know, the, the, her family needed help. And then you end up leaving and cutting off all contact with them for three years to dedicate your life to helping people when your family really needs help. You know what I mean? Like you're not there for your family. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's, maybe that's part of it. I mean, maybe that's because as you might expect when she comes back, she's, she's reluctant to come back, but she eventually does reestablish these connections with her family. And it has a, you know, pretty happy ending. Which I, w- I will say this. I thought Zach Clark handled something really well because I was really nervous about it. When she eats the shrooms. Oh, God. What's yeah. the end? I was like, God damn it. We're going to go into a goddamn drug trip. No, I thought he handled that quite well. I did. I just, just her reaction of going, oh, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it is. This is a dark comedy for sure. It's. It's the type of comedy that's that's right up my alley. But I I I, I enjoyed it more than White Reindeer for the fact that I I don't think that he he didn't go too dark. No. And I thought that he had a good mix of emotion and the dark humor in there that it worked out quite well. That made it much better viewing experience than White Reindeer. And then of course the you know like you said before the the performances that you have here with Addison Timlin and Ali Sheedy, Keith Polson. Yeah, I was going to come back to Ali Sheedy because, um, well, the, the, to your first point, I would say that with R- White Reindeer, it is, it's a depressing movie. It doesn't, you don't leave White Reindeer feeling good. Yeah. You don't feel good about yourself. You don't feel good about the world. It's, it's a very, it's a very dour movie. It's a very sad movie. And in, in a lot of ways, this movie's kind of the opposite. Yes, there are sad things that occur, but, Ultimately, it's a. I would say it's almost an an uplifting movie. Yeah, because I don't think you know? you, with with little sister, I think you have the cynicism and the the dark humor. I think is much more natural feeling than with White Reindeer, where it almost felt like he was just laying it on thick. Like yeah. let's try and make every single corner of this movie dark humor, and it's just at times it felt too much. It was overwhelming. There's like Jesus, like everything, like every frame. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely this, agree you know dark humor i can definitely agree with that although you know this this is more of just about a dysfunctional family where whereas white reindeer is is i mean the subject matter of white reindeer yeah is inherently darker than than what's going on in in this movie um going back to ali sheedy's character she was a bit of a nut in this which anytime ali sheedy plays a nut um i'm all about it so i think she she plays the the crazy person role, like to a T. I mean, yeah, she's, she's, she's a bit uh, she's a bit moody. It seems like in this film. Yeah, she she Is her she... characters her characters really hard to pin down too because in one moment she's I mean she does she has crazy mood swings. In this one moment she's just normal and happy and acting very motherly, and in another moment she's just uh, I don't I don't know what you would even. A monster? I don't even know what you would call her. Yeah, she's, just, you know, passive-aggressive as all hell. And then just, like, straight-on vindictive. Yeah, but I thought I thought she did a, did a fantastic job. 
And I was also really happy that Zach Clark didn't take the... Because going into this, I was a little worried about, you know, Timlin's character being or trying to be a nun in the process, the nun training. And I thought like, oh, here we go. We're going to have a bunch of like easy, easy jabs at religion and such. But it was actually pretty respectful. Well, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't really... He didn't really criticize religion no, at all. No, I mean there was there was no critic, and I, that was one thing that I was wondering if he was if it was going to kind of go there as well. But he doesn't he doesn't go after religion in any in any way. He, it's just it's just a plot point, really. It's just it's yeah. Just a, and I uh, thought there would be, and I'm so happy that it wasn't. And you know, this is mostly on on me for setting up expectations that are kind of unfair but i thought there would be you know some like low-hanging fruit dark humor you know pointed at nuns or religion in general but kind of stayed away from that yeah which was refreshing because it's easy it's easy to make fun of religion sure yeah it is it is i agree it is low-hanging fruit because really the only thing that happens is when uh she goes to the cocoon central showpiece yeah, and they, she gets confronted by those performers. Yeah. I love how they were having that conversation while they still had their <laughs> stupid little plain hats on. Uh, I also I also have to say that I liked Peter Hedge's uh, character. He was the dad. He, he played the dad. He played such a good dad. and Such a good suburban dad. Too it's often. Just trying to occupy that space of like the peacekeeper. Yeah. Yep. The diplomat. Too, it's just like, eh, come on, guys. Too often in movies like this, the dad plays the buffoon. And I always like when the dad in the movie, he's he's the centered one. He's the one keeping the peace. He's the one who is he's playing both sides. He's just trying to make everybody happy. And yeah, he was he was a great dad character in this. Yeah. He was like a tiny bit of a buffoon. A little, but not, not, not offensively buffoonish. Yeah, over the top. Like he, he, he knew what was going on. He was very cognizant of his what was going on with his wife and his daughter, and he was trying to just make sure that everything was at an even keel the whole time. Uh, one thing I didn't really—I mean, I guess that was fine. The there was. Another there was another character uh, of Trisha played by Kristen Slaysman. Yeah, and based this was kind of uh, a side plot. It was kind of going with uh, Keith Polson's character trying to reacclimate himself into into civilian life and trying to get back to living a normal life. And uh, she plays his fiance, I guess. Yeah. Although they never really. I mean, you you just have to assume that because you don't know anything about. I didn't even know who she was until it took a while they, for me it, too. It, I was just like, is she? I thought she, I, I didn't know if she was another sister or if she was. I thought she a was family a, friend. I thought she was a sister at first, and I was like, man, they it's a cold relationship with this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of odd. I think I think I didn't even realize it until there's there's one scene where they go to this farm. And Addison Timlin's character is having a conversation with her. Yeah. And that's when I realized, like, oh, okay. All right. So they're together. Uh, I, but I didn't, I didn't feel like that, that little plot thread was 
Uh, I thought that that was kind of weak because they show there's a scene where they show her kind of like she's still with him, but he's very he he's acting very cold towards her, and she's trying to make it work, but it's a struggle. Yeah. And there's something that she does, and then there's like some stuff that he does. So you you know, kind of the relationships uh, thinning out, and. I, but it, that kind of, I, I don't know, they didn't really go anywhere with that. Well, they just kind of tied up at the end. Just I guess, if, it, I, I, guess I don't know, I guess I wanted something more substantial. Like, if you're going to take the time to, to show that this uh, this is putting a serious strain on the relationship, I mean, I think that we could assume that that was already happening, and to take the time to show these things that are happening... Um, do something to bring them back together or show us that they're, they're weathering the storm yeah. rather than just showing a one-off scene at the end. Cause that was, that was kind of one of my issues with this is that I felt like uh, it's only an hour and a half long, but I just felt like there was so much in here that didn't need to be in here. And it just felt um, I, I, I was feeling strained while watching it. Mm. I enjoyed. I don't it. know. I enjoyed it. That's great. Surprise. I'm glad. Uh, for some reason, for some reason, it's just didn't, maybe maybe it was just not what I expected, and I was kind of just let subconsciously let down with it because I don't have a lot of uh, like harsh criticisms against it. It was it was yeah. fine. I'm still I'm still gonna watch um, <laughs> whatever ne- Zach Clark has coming up next. It certainly doesn't. I saw that Slant gave it a one. Whoa. <laughs> They gave it a one out of what was their scale like a five or something? Like I can understand not liking that, or maybe like a one and a half. I can see that one and a half out of five. I can understand not liking it, but I don't think it's got. Well, that's yeah. I mean, come on now, one and a half. Give me a break. Like I, I I can't even understand how you could rate it that. I I might have liked this one less than Vacation and White Reindeer, but come on. Performances alone should, you know, at least get a two. At least get a two. At least get a two. The Crampton factor is good for at least half a point. <laughs> yeah. Really. All right. Any final thoughts on Little Sister? Uh, I was quite surprised and happy that uh, Molly Plunk was in there from See You Next Tuesday. That was quite a surprise that made me happy. I thought she was good in it as well. But yeah, like all the performances. Yeah. At least yeah, a two. Yeah, come on, man. Yeah, I thought Molly Plunk was. I could just done with that. The biggest thing for me is the uh, the election stuff. Yeah, and that that really needless, that, unnecessary. I don't know. I thought Emily. Uh, I thought Molly Plunk's character of Emily was. She was a little annoying to me. Okay. I was a little annoyed by her. Okay. She did a good job. I just thought the character was a bit annoying. All right, little sister. Let's give this thing a score. I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. Ooh. I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go seven. Very nice. This is playing now in select cities and on VOD platforms. So check it out. Cool. Check it out. I also, I also saw that, uh, also co-written with uh, Melody Sisk, who's in, who's in a lot of Zach Clark stuff. Mm-hmm. She also co-wrote it. Just wanted to clear that up because it's again, you're like written and directed by Zach Clark. But she was also in there too. Yes, she was, uh, she was my favorite character in, Vacation. She was Dee Dee in Vacation. 
I'm gonna have to see vacation. Ah, uh, I don't know if you're gonna like Maybe that. One. <laughs> I don't know if you're gonna like that one. Maybe stay away. That's what you're saying. I'll be interested to hear your thoughts, but I, I just, yeah, I don't know. You, you might like it. It's if you like this one, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's a lot different than Little Sister for sure. Like his, I think the budgets for his movies have gone up. Each one that he's done, and yeah. they, they. They have a more mainstream feel to them, but uh, I, th- I think that his his voice can still be kind of heard in in all of his movies. I'm gonna watch Vacation. Do it. All right, let's move on. Talk about Certain Women. This is directed by Kelly Reichardt. It's also written by Kelly Reichardt, based on the short stories of uh, how do you say that? Maley, Maley, Maley Malloy. That sounds about right. Based on the short stories of Maley Malloy, this uh, I have a synopsis here. The lives of three women intersect in a small in small town America, where each is imperfectly blazing a trail. This stars Michelle Williams, Laura Dern, Jared Harris, Kristen Stewart, uh, Lily Gladstone, James Legrose. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but anytime he pops up in something, I can I never remember who he is. He's a character yeah, actor. Yeah, I like that guy. Who's that guy? Yeah, he's, what is he... he's a great character actor. He's always great. I think he, he doesn't he get is. enough credit. No, he doesn't. Even by me, because I can't remember who he is. <laughs> My apologies. He, he's like he's at the he's like where Richard Jenkins used to be. Yeah. He's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's in the he's a great he's a great character actor. And I mean he's had some big roles. Uh he's great in Mildred Pierce. Yeah. I think he's great in almost everything. He's been in he can do, he because he's a very versatile actor too he can do comedy he's in a lot of horror movies he can he can just i think most i think mostly you want to put him in roles that are that take place in cold climates because he just looks right at home in cold climates he just he yeah the beard it's the beard it's the combination of the beard and like the messed up hair because it, yeah. so it always looks like he was just wearing a knit hat <laughs> And took it off, and then and also he's he just he looks good wearing like sweaters and coats. He just looks like a dude that he's would, the perfect canvas for sweaters. Yeah, and knit hats, he just, all sorts of knitted things. He's the perfect model for knitted things. Yeah, I think is what we're getting you, at. You just want to put him in the cold. That's what you want. He was tailor. He was tailor made for knitted fabrics. <laughs> all right. So. I wonder if that's on his resume. Prefer, As like prefer a skill. cold climate. Prefer cold climate <laughs> slash knit hat. Tailor made for <laughs> Tailor made for knitted fabrics. Alright, certain women. We'll start it with you, Kevin. What'd you think of certain women? Loved it. I don't really even know why, I just loved it. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, like to try and like I th- it's just a mood that her films put you in. Cause you can say like there's not much that they're quiet. There's not much happening. They move slowly. Um, you have to have a, a large amount of patience with her films. I think, but I don't. I don't know why, but it's just it's a very comforting experience watching her films. That's because when you see her movies, within ten minutes, you realize this this woman is an outstanding filmmaker, and she just she knows how to she knows how to shoot a scene, she knows how to edit a scene, and she knows how to carry 
a tone throughout the scene. I mean, all her movies seem to take place in very kind of, you know, desolate areas. And I yeah, think just these quiet and that's quiet small towns. You know, that's her that's her wheelhouse. That's what she where she excels and this movie's no exception. It takes place in Montana and it's you know, she makes Montana look beautiful. She makes me want to go to Montana. Yeah. Be- oh my god. I mean the way the the film opens with that train. Yeah. You know, just doing the credits. I I essentially as soon as that hit and you have the train coming from the right to the bottom left corner and you have the credits up in the top right corner, mm-hmm. it was essentially me just like, oh, chalk this down to me loving it. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, you just... pretty much, you build up so much goodwill just in the title sequence yep. that you would really have to fuck this up. And I don't think you're going to do that. No, I guess what? Surprise, she doesn't. I yeah, I mean my my expectations for this were were very high. I having seen I, I still haven't seen Meek's cutoff actually. Um but having seen her other films, uh I knew exactly or I, I thought that I knew exactly how this was gonna feel totally going into it. I was correct. And that's what I wanted. Like I I wanted it to be exactly what it was and i certainly wasn't let down um you know again this is a movie that is that excels in performances kristen stewart once again uh doing a fantastic job she's on a crazy streak right now i yeah i don't know i don't know if it's her her agent that is kind of i don't know what happened here because you know she's she's doing these she's coming off these twilight movies and then like all of a sudden the roles that she's picking have been just so perfectly tuned for her yeah that i mean she, the way that she kind of cultivated her career is uh is pretty outstanding and um she was she was great in it she didn't have as big of a role as uh, the other women in it but her her character was still uh still meaty character and that's the thing like well i think i think that's the biggest thing with the kelly record movies is the her understanding of people and the way that she crafts our characters. And, and yeah, and it's kind of interesting coming off of Little Sister because I saw Little Sister first and then saw this. And it was like the thing that one of the things that I thought was a bit lacking in Little Sister was the characters and the development of the characters. And I see this and it's like every single character. And I'm not trying to draw direct comparison between these two movies. These, they're very different movies. But the characters in this were so deep and complex and I just, I wanted to spend more and more time with these characters and get to know them because they were so intriguing to me, which is interesting because they're just regular people. That's, that's the thing. Like her movies are very understated. They're very, um, the, she doesn't sensationalize anything. It's all, it's all no, very no. rooted in and grounded. But I think that that's something that she, she does that's just... I don't know how she does it because you're right. They're just real people. But like you said, the characters feel so there's such a depth to them and they're so well-rounded. They just feel like lived in characters. Like they have a whole backstory that you can imagine. And I just, I don't know what it is, but she makes like just real life people seem magical. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she, she captures. And I think that one of the, one of the ways that she does it is by capturing kind of day-to-day uh, mundane elements of our lives and just making making them l- look magical. Yeah, just because it's all the quiet moments, really. 
Yeah. Most of it, except for, you know, like a, a hostage negotiation. <laughs> That's not really quiet. But, but even that was, was so uh, like understated and minimalist, just the, the kind of nonchalant way that the cops were dealing with it. And just, it was like the laziest hostage situation well, you've ever just, seen it, on film. It was just funny because that was one of the more striking, like the differences between like men and women compared to the other two stories that this film is concerned with Laura Dern, you know, her telling Jared Harris for like eight, nine months that he, that he has no recourse. He, he can't do anything. He can't sue. He can't do anything. And he just won't listen to her. And then, you know, a guy tells him yeah. the same thing and he's just like, Oh, okay. <laughs> She's just like, what the hell? Yeah. And, and you know, like she won't be listened to, won't be listened to. And then, you know, Hey, we have this situation and, you can take care of it. Yeah. But even then they're like, you have to cater to him. You have to listen to him. You have to make him feel like he's being listened to. And it's just, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the, the crux of this, of this film. It's three um, very loosely connected stories about these women who, are you know strong independent women in their own right so you have the laura dern character who is a she's a lawyer she's working with jared harris who was injured he was injured at work and he's trying to sue uh, the the company he worked for and then like like kevin said that's what happens uh it kind of devolves into a hostage situation <laughs> but then you have Michelle Williams' character, who is her and her husband are trying to build a house and trying to get this sandstone from this from this older gentleman who seems like he might be having the early stages of dementia or Alzheimer's. He's got something going on there, but but she's just quietly being undermined when she's trying to get this sandstone. Yeah, and it's just a lot of that, just that quiet undermining. Yeah, from day to day. There was an interesting line. Where the, 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 the guy that they were getting the sandstone from just assumed that Michelle Williams was working for her husband. Yep. It's just, it's just that kind of and stuff. And he was quick to point out, like, no, I'm, I'm working for her. She's the boss. Yeah. And then when she keeps asking about it, you know, it just switches that he only talks to the husband mm-hmm. after she kind of makes a play for the sandstone. She, he, was, he was all about discussing things with her when it was just like a friendly visit. But as soon as she goes into business, he kind of just uh, refused to talk to her. And James... It's just that kind of stuff. And that's the the, the husband's played by James LeGrosse, who uh, in the first scene of the movie we see is having an affair with Laura Dern's character. So there's just tiny, tiny interconnections, which I was wondering if that would, how she was going to do that. Like, were they going to be just like three separate yeah, stories? Yeah, separate I, I had. I mean, they're, they're they're interlinked, but I mean, just almost superficially, really. Yeah, and probably even more so with the Kristen Stewart, um, Lily Gladstone story. Yeah, uh, that one is very like almost non-existent. Like it was one of those deals, like the uh, like the Paris Jetame movies, yeah, where it's like they pass of... they pass each other, you know, like yeah. passing glances at each other. Um, which Lily Gladstone's section, I like. I was so into the rhythm of certain women. By the time that we get to her, I could just watch her on the farm <laughs> doing. Like you could have just made that a movie, 
just silent, just her working on the farm, that chubby little corgi. Yeah, the corgi. That that one scene when it tried to, when it was like trying to dig under that fence or something, and it just, the way it jumped on, I don't know if it was trying to get a bug or something, but just that one little throwaway scene, it just uh, warmed my heart. And that that was the, uh, well, let's talk about the, so the Lily Gladstone, Kristen Stewart story, basically Lily Gladstone, her character, Jamie, she works on a farm, uh, and she decides to take this uh, night night class that is uh, taught by Kristen Stewart, and she kind of, uh, I, guess, I guess she sort of gets a crush on her, or just becomes infatuated with her, and she's just kind of... Like I don't know if it's a like a like a love thing or if she's just looking for companionship and a connection with another yeah. person, like friendship. Um, but she kind of becomes infatuated with Kristen Stewart, and they uh, go out for dinner after each class. And then she kind of realizes that Kristen Stewart doesn't really want to do it, and that she has to drive a really long distance to get there and then like they, her, her work schedule is pretty grueling and uh, it kind of goes moves on from there going back to the dogs did you notice how many dogs there were in this movie there's a lot, a of, lot dogs. of dogs that's the other thing that I love about like, Ke- Kelly Reichardt's a dog lover so well it's also it's a, a lot of good dogs yeah just dogs a lot of solid dogs in there every, every there's at least three dogs in the movie but that chubby corgi takes the, it. The chubby corgi is the best, of course. Because that was the only dog that got me to name it. Because <laughs> like, right off the bat, I was like, you're Chubbers. Chubbers, okay. And then every time you would show I'm like, Chubbers. I really like that corgi. Yeah. Just heads up, people. I'm not, I'm not even a huge... Awesome. I'm not a huge... Corgis are so cool. Yeah, I'm, see, I'm not a huge corgi guy. Like, I, I like... My wife, my wife had two corgis, so... I like them. Man. Oh, they're the best. But there's just something about them. They're they're just fun to watch. They are. They are. They're interesting. Especially if they're just a little a little bit of heft to them. Yeah. Mm. The way they waddle. <laughs> that exactly. that that corgi could could move though in the movie. The way, the... Exactly. I was quite surprised keeping up with that ATV. Definitely. Damn, Chubber's got some speed on him. I guess I'm just I see. There's a small thing. Just assuming it's a guy dog. I don't know. <laughs> it's an alien. It's a lady dog. Uh, it could be. Could be. Quick. Chubbers is quick. De- deceiving with that quickness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what did you think of the? Because we 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 touched on it briefly. I mean, this is this is a film about three strong women. It definitely has kind of uh, like a uh, a feminist vibe going through it. Did you feel like any of that uh, was too overt or too on the nose? No, not at all. I felt like uh, I, I was expecting it to be more overt going into it. I don't know why I thought that. It was kind of ridiculous for me to think that, that yeah, she would do so something right. like that. But, but uh, yeah, I thought that it was all very done, done in a very um, minimal and natural just, way. Yeah, she just... I honestly think that she can do anything. Like, the net... If we could just make the next movie, Kelly Reichardt's next movie is just someone walking dogs. Like, I think that she could do that for like an hour and 40 minutes and it would be amazing. Just someone walking dogs. Now, where does this uh, where does this stand on the, the Reichardt scale? It's up there. 
it, it's up is there. This, uh, you think this might be the best? Is this, is this the top? I don't, top of the list? I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would go best. It's difficult to say because it, it's been a while since I've seen like Wendy and Lucy and Old Joy. I really love those movies, but it's been a while, so I can't really compare. You know what I mean? I yeah. can't stack them up against each other because the only thing that's like somewhat fresh in my mind is Meek's Cutoff, and I might say that Meek's Cutoff is better than certain women. Mm. Okay. I don't know. Well, uh, for me, I uh, I need to see. I have not seen River of Grass, Old Joy, or Meek's Cutoff. So those are yeah, those are three of her movies that I have not have not seen. I think Wendy yeah. Lucy is probably still the top for me, just because I, I don't know. It's because it's about a dog mostly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as far as like the the quality and and the the characters and the narrative i would say that they're almost on equal terms but i found myself more enthralled with the journey of wendy and lucy i guess yeah but you're sucking for dogs. i am i am I'm, you inject that dog in there and you're just like yes uh any other thoughts on certain women watch it fantastic movie probably one of the best of the year for me uh, I, I, I don't I don't know if I accurately expressed my adoration no, for this movie, but I really I did it's, love it, and it's it's hard to it's hard to describe. It's like the with, with Kelly Reichardt movies, it's like you just have to see them, and I understand that a lot of people are not going to be on board with them because yes, they are very quiet, they're somber, they're there's not a lot yeah. of action, the dialogue is sparse and. They're just they're they're slow burns. I mean, they're, they're they're slow burns that that don't really go anywhere. They kind of just fizzle away. But it's it's in yeah, that. They don't, yeah, it's and in it's that not, like, they don't they don't even really fizzle. It's just more so that you leave the room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like you but at a certain point in time they're like you have to leave. Now. It's like you you just spend brief moments of time with these people in their lives and you just, you come in, you watch their lives for this, just this small amount of time. And then you, and then you get out of it. And although for, for them, when you look at the, you know, the scope, you know, assuming like pretending that hypothetically these characters are living full lives, like to them, this may be a fairly insignificant slice of their life. But, yeah. but for us, it's like, uh, it's very, it's very, um, emotionally charged and, and kind of uh, enlightening in a way. Yeah, I would agree. And it's, it's just good stuff. It, yeah, it's just just a fantastic movie, and I think that everyone everyone should should check this out because it's uh, it, it's certainly one of the year's best. So that's certain women. Let's give it a score, Kevin. What are you going to give this one? I'll give it like eight, eight and a half. That's kind of where I'm sitting too. I'm sitting like an eight, eight and a half. I think. Leading more. even. Well, it, that's another thing with her movies is like you kind of got to wait. Yeah, you got to kind of got to let them stew a little bit. Her movies are are always ones that stick with me. Like I'm always thinking about them days, even even weeks later. They they just they yeah. stay with you. They linger. But yeah, fantastic. All right, let's move on and talk about some we're watching on the watch list. Uh, you can start it off this week if you'd like. Okay, I watched one called The Ones Below. I don't, I don't know what I was really expecting with this. Watch this on Netflix. I guess it was supposed to be kind of like a thriller type thing going on. It's 
what we got here is you got two sets of neighbors, one above, one below, the ones below, right? And they're both having kids. This they're both couples, they're both having kids. One, she wasn't sure if she wanted to have kids, now she does. The other one has known all of her life that she wants a child more than anything in the world. Crazy accident happens when they have them over for dinner. She loses that kid. Now, it might seem as a surprise going forward that they try and have her essentially sabotage the upstairs relationship with their child and essentially try and steal the kid. Um, and it would come off as like somewhat of a surprise or maybe have some th- thrilling aspects in there. But the, the, the problem is before the accident happens, the downstairs couple are framed as completely unhinged and just crazy individuals mm. that you immediately know that they're up to something because they lost their kid and they like invested everything into having this kid. And they're just so, they're so unrealistic in the way that they interact with people and the way that they're talking about the pregnancy and stuff that when they lose it and they're like, well, we're going to, we're going to leave and we're not going to come back until we're able to apologize to you and wish you good luck with your, with raising your baby. So they leave for a while and then they come back and you know that they're fucking insane and they haven't forgiven this, this couple and that they're going to try and steal the fucking baby. And guess what? They steal the baby. Oh, I ruined that for you because it's a shit movie. It's just, it's like, they don't even try. I don't understand. It's really confusing in that it's just kind of like this nonchalant walkthrough of a screenplay where they're not trying for tension. They don't try for anything that you would label thrilling. There's really no suspense, mystery. It is just, there's like nothing. It's just like they're not, it's like my stepdad's telling me a story. Hmm. And my stepdad's a terrible storyteller because he gets hung up on what day it actually happened on. And we'll spend 25 minutes trying to figure out what day it was. It's just uh, such a disappointment. And I didn't even have expectations going into it. All right. So that's one to avoid. Very much so. It's called The Ones Below. Yeah. Guess what? The Ones Below, they steal a baby. That's what happens. <laughs> uh, I saw the I saw Tower. This is a document. Oh, this is a documentary that came out this weekend. It's about the uh, sniper shooting at the University of Texas in 1966. Uh, it's directed by Keith Maitland, and it's um, rotoscoped. What they do is they reenact the events that took place and they uh, do so with rotoscoped animation. Uh, it's it's interesting how they do it because at first I was like, eh, not. I, I feel like the whole rotoscoped animation thing's a little bit played out, and I was just I didn't know if I was going to be on board with it. But as as the film progressed and I could see where they were going with it and how they had this structured, I was I was like gradually uh, falling for this one more and more. And until the end hits and it's I will say that this is way more uh, emotional than I imagined it being like it, it really like by the end, I was like completely choked up. It's so it's very, very emotional what happens in this. And basically what the what it is, is it's sort of a retelling of the events that took place in 1966 from the perspective of um people who were there and were the victims of the sniper. And so it's sort of, uh, they're reenacting it, but they're having actors tell the story of 
the survivors, but then towards the end, they actually bring in the the real survivors and uh, intercut the real survivors telling the story with the actors portraying the young versions of them telling the story. Mm. And it's uh, it, it's really good. I mean, it's it's not anything what I expected. I expected it to be just a, kind of a normal talking head style documentary that just had this kind of animation uh, tied to it because I was assuming that they probably didn't have enough uh, footage and stuff to actually make a, a whole visual documentary about it. Yeah. But, um, and, and they also, they do intercut um, news footage and stuff like that from it too. So there's, there is live action elements to it as well. And anytime they show the real survivors, anytime they bring them in, they though they are real, like they're not animated or anything. Okay. Um, but I would say check it out if you're not familiar with the events that that took place in 1966. It was unheard of for the time. I mean, it's it's so interesting because, and then they actually touch on this in the documentary. Now mass shootings are the norm. We're completely oh, yeah. we're completely desensitized to mass shootings, yeah. but back then. This was unheard of. N- nobody knew what yeah. to do. Like there was nowadays, it's like, hey, did you hear about? And then insert a town name, and you're just like, your immediate thought is, oh damn, shooting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this one was particularly horrific. Um, the The shooter was up in a the the clock tower for ninety minutes, shooting people. Ninety minutes before <laughs> before he was finally uh, gunned down, but. It was crazy because I guess people they just didn't know what to do. They didn't know the protocol. Like they there were like you know local police departments like the Austin police. They had no idea how to handle it. Yeah. So it was uh it it was it, it this movie came out at a very um you know very relevant time and I would definitely recommend checking it out. Tower playing. I don't think it's on VOD. I think it's in limited release right now. <clears throat> Yeah, I watched one. Uh, uh, I, I guess I could look it up, but here on Letterboxd it says it's from 1990. That's um, wholly inaccurate. It's like 1960 something, 1969 maybe, 68. It's called The Ear. It's from uh, Carol Kachnia. This is uh, this is quite good half the time. It's one of those movies where it's like two different things, and the, the one portion of it works incredibly well. The other portion. Not so much. So it's a husband and wife. He's a ministry official for the for the government. And they're at this kind of like function, this government party type thing. And then when they get home throughout the day, he's or throughout the party, he's learning about he worked on this project with all of his other fellow comrades. And all the other guys have been taken away and thrown in jail. And he's just finding out about it at the party. And he's figuring He's the last one to go. So he's just automatically assumed that at some point in time, they're coming to get him and taking him off the jail. So it's him and his wife dealing with that when they get home after the party. So throughout them kind of like bickering in the house and you get in arguments and him trying to burn evidence and all this type of stuff and having to deal with the ear, which is the listening devices in his house where he can only, they can only essentially function in like a couple of rooms. So it's him kind of recalling things, interactions, tidbits that he heard from people from the party. So it'll go to like a flashback of that. 
And in the flashback, they use everything's POV shots from his point of view. So it's just like random people at the party talking to the camera. And it just, it really, it's really jarring and it doesn't work at all. It just really fucks with the rhythm of the at-home stuff between the husband and wife. Because all of that is spectacular. It's a great relationship drama with the the paranoia mixed in and how that affects their relationship. Mm. So it's just... When it's the stuff at home, the husband and wife, fantastic. The the flashback stuff just really just throws it, just really fucks with the rhythm of the movie. But the uh, the one that plays the wife, Jarina Badlovova, like she gives an amazing performance. She is unbelievable in this film. Cool. So it's definitely worth a look. I saw this on uh, well, I guess not for long. It was on Hulu Plus because it's a Criterion film that actually hasn't i don't think it's ever been released on disc form it's just one of theirs that they have on the hulu plus which i guess will be on filmstruck now uh speaking speaking of which do you know if all of this the criterion stuff on hulu is going to be pulled off i don't know it sounds like it is i mean because all i know is that the entire digital collection of criterion releases is going to be on filmstruck but i didn't in none of the press releases have I read that it's going to be pulled off of Hulu. I'm assuming that it is, yeah, but I don't. It just sort of makes sense. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know that for sure. Interestingly, I saw an ad on TV for Filmstruck yesterday, which was really? yeah, it was really it was weird just to see an ad on TV for this new service. Are you are you going to be getting it? I uh, know I need them to change something on their website. Let me be able to look through your library before I sign up for this. There's nothing more than I hate than that. Because it says, like, right now, it's just, like, take a look at the library or explore the library. And I click on it, and it shows me, like, three directors that they have. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's not enough. Like, I need to know what you're going to have. Is it worth my time and money? Because I don't want to sign up for the thing. And then, you know, it's just, like, criterions and, like, a couple, like, a handful of, like, classic movies. Like, oh, fuck that. I can just watch it on fan. They did release some of the titles that they're going to be featuring um at, at launch it's like they're they're doing like kind of curated collections and stuff from different people so yeah. uh i wrote an article about it that that had all of the all of the initial things but i don't think that that's everything i'm assuming that's not going to be everything in their library yeah. But I need—I want to know what the other stuff's going to be. I don't like that you have to pay extra for the Criterion add-on. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you got to pay extra. Oh, fuck so like you the services—the service is one price, and then if you want the Criterion stuff, it's an add-on. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Uh, all right, I saw Mascots. This is uh, the new Christopher Guest film that's on Netflix right now. I thought How's this? it was okay. I there? yeah I mean Christopher Guest stuff I, I I love the I love Best in Show I love Waiting for Guffman and he didn't he didn't direct this is Spinal Tap but let's be real I mean that's he he played a pretty big part in that in that movie as well and all all of his direct uh, directorial movies basically emulate that. <laughs> all kind of the same but just different subjects. Yeah, so this is exactly what you would expect i mean you watch five minutes of this and you know it's a christopher guest movie it's got everybody from all of his previous movies this one it's i i laughed more 
than um, than a mighty wind or what's that other one? The for your consideration. Yeah. I thought it was funnier than those two, uh, but the the humor, this the style of humor was different. It was much more on the nose and kind of goofball. When you see this is Spinal Tap or Best in Show, the the humor comes from how earnest it is and how serious these people are. And yeah. a lot of the jokes are are very kind of dry and just the way that people it's within the characters and the kind of the neuroses and the weird quirks of the characters that are into whatever the subject may be. And with mascots, it's just, it's just very, um, the jokes are very surface level. And while a lot of them work, uh, some of them are just like, eh, that's just, it's just too, it's just too on the nose. But I mean, it's got a great cast. I mean, you're talking Jane Lynch, Chris O'Dowd, um, Zach Woods is in it, and he's hilarious. Parker Posey, Ed Bagley Jr., of course, Fred Willard. Uh, Fred Willard's probably the best character in the whole movie because he's just, he is Fred Willard. He's basically the same character as, yeah. you know, he was in all all of Christopher Guest's other movies. And he's he's just so funny and weird in this movie. It's amazing. Um Christopher Guest, interestingly, reprises his role from Waiting for Guffman. He plays Corky St. Clair. Oh, really? Yeah, Corky's back. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a really nice surprise to see that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. Jennifer Coolidge is in it. Bob Balaban. You know, all of the, most, most of the, uh, the guest crew. Yeah. No Catherine O'Hara. Oh. A little, I was a little bummed out by that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. Not amazing. I think uh, f- releasing it on Netflix was a good a good choice. Yeah. It made me laugh. Chris O'Dowd, unfortunately, did not play a very good character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wasn't funny at all. It's not his fault. They just, he didn't really have a lot to work with. But uh, it was it was pretty enjoyable. So I'd, I'd probably give it a light recommend. Mascots. Mascots. Uh, I watched The Visit. Got me a little M. Night Shyamalan action. Oh, yeah? What'd you think of this one? This may suck. <laughs> yeah, I I will say that it's, it's uh, I liked it more than uh, some of his other newer movies. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'll give him that. But one thing, I just I want to know what was the decision here. Why is the kid rapping, and why does he have to rap so often? He just loves. Why it. does he have to have a stupid name? He just loves rapping. Why I got? And come on, the guy on the Amtrak is going to beatbox for this kid. It was a little, little cringeworthy. So awful, and his raps are so long and they're so terrible, and he just keeps rapping, and it's awful. I hate it. So that really put me off because that happened quite early, too. Him rapping on a damn Amtrak, and I just remember like looking at the screen, and being like, The fuck is this? Like, why did we make this kid a rapper? So I saw it's bad enough, it's a found footage movie. I saw this in the theater, and people in the theater just thought that was so funny that that kid was rapping, they were just eating it up. And I was like, This is horrible. Are you kidding me? Uh, Oh my god! I threw up in my mouth so much. It's just, and then he raps again later on because Grandma's like, "Oh, let me hear one of your raps." Grandma doesn't want to hear one of your raps. And then he raps at the end of the damn thing. Like, there's no need for this kid to rap three times. Yeah. And I know I'm getting hung up on the raps, but seriously, because this is the main issue, one of the main issues I have found footage films because there's so much downtime in found footage films, and they got to make it, you know, like realistic, and it's kind of just like mundane shit. Yeah. 
it's no hard and it's usually they always kind of like lean a little bit to like oh we, let's get some levity in yeah they go kind of fun they go the comedy route almost always yeah which is okay if i gotta spend all like a large chunk of time in that mode you know majority of the time the people that are in these movies suck. Yeah. Like you just I, don't want to spend yeah. any time with these people. That's... And then you're going to make this kid a fucking rapper. I always say that about T- the film footage. T diamond stylus. Well, it was supposed to be funny, it, but it didn't why work. Didn't, why didn't he name himself after like a, uh, like a pen? When <laughs> like your DS, I don't know. So you got that going on, and then there's just fucking plot holes everywhere. Yeah, it's just it's just trash. I mean, there's some moments here and there that were kind of creepy. Sure. So my t- two questions uh, for you: one, how did you feel about the found footage mechanic in this? It was a, it was it was okay. It was a bit irritating at first, especially when she did the 15 year old uh, sister gave him a camera too. Mm-hmm. And it just kept jumping back and forth. Like, I would, for a moment there, I was like, I don't know whose point of view this is. I don't know what the fuck we're doing. Because they weren't really doing anything at that point. They're just kind of just, like, walking around the house or, like, shooting pop-pop banana, like, outside. And I'm just like, this is just this is just such a huge waste of time. Like, can we just pick a camera and stick with it? All right. And maybe do something? Second question, without giving it away, how'd you feel about the twist? The twist was fucking dumb. <laughs> This is fucking dumb. And just, it just, I don't know if it's because he builds everything it's up too, yeah, the, well, that's on the, the shoulders of the twist. And then the twist just can never handle. There was no way when you look at that movie and how, how it was structured, there's no way that anything would be satisfying. Like, the, and, yeah. and sometimes when, when movies bank on a twist or multiple twists, that happens a lot where, you're like, there's nothing that this director can do to to make this worthwhile. Like, yeah. they, they they kind of paint themselves into a corner in that in that respect. And it's like, I don't know if this is giving too much weight, but it seriously took the cops like eight hours. Yeah. To show up, like, come on. Also, just leave, just leave. Yeah. Uh, so that's the visit. Did you see the trailer for his new movie? The one with uh, no. the one with uh, God damn it. <laughs> James McAvoy, where it's uh, he plays somebody that has like twenty one personalities. He has multiple personality oh disorder. God. He has twenty one personalities or something. That looks like a chore. That one. That one. I'd probably skip that one. That sounds awful. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Uh, the only other one I saw this week was Thirteenth. This is again a Netflix documentary directed by Ava DuVernay. Uh, it kind of uh, covers the Thirteenth Amendment. And it starts off with sort of a history lesson going, uh, it starts back when, with the abolishment of slavery and kind of gives us a really quick overview of how the 13th Amendment came to be and then how uh, it basically transformed from, you know, it abolished slavery, but it kind of, in the amendment, it states that prisoners, uh, it, prisoners are basically exempt from the 13th amendment. They have no freedom. And it yeah. then it goes through, you know, uh, Jim Crow and then kind of goes into um, the Reagan era with the war on drugs. And it basically takes a look at mass incarceration in this country. And uh, I knew pretty much 
everything that that was in this documentary already had already been pretty informed on this whole situation uh but that doesn't mean that this isn't a necessary documentary i I feel like everybody should watch this one this is one that that everybody needs to see however i'm pretty sure that the only people that that are gonna see it are the ones that are already that already know about this and already kind of outraged yeah and i mean it's it's well put together it's your typical kind of talking head documentary but it's it's really the important thing is the information held within this and um, it's, it's maddening. It's incredibly sad and it's, it, you know, brings more light and hopefully will spark more conversations about how the, the criminal justice system and the, the prison system in our country is completely out of control and needs to be reformed immediately because it's insane. America accounts for 25% of incarcerated civilians. Yeah. In the world, and it's it, it, there's there's something wrong there, <laughs> and uh, this just a bit. It just shines a light on all of this and, and the cause of it, and that that's the interesting thing is is what what came, how did this come to be? You know, what what were the what were the bills, what were the laws that that went into effect that brought us to this point in our history, and. Yeah. She gets a lot of really interesting people involved in the documentary, and it's, it's just it's a must see. Just just watch it. Don't I can't wait to see. Yeah, this one. don't be a dick. Just watch it. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Like, if you don't watch it, you're a dick. I think so. Okay. I think so. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, and that's really that's really all I have. That's all I have too. I'm done. All right. Let's move on. Talk about some predictions. Last week, the accountant. You said 32, I said 58, actual 51. Get out of here. Uh, we have a review for this up on the site. Blake gave it a 4 out of 10. Uh, certain Women, you said 94, I said 86, actual 96. Nice. Yeah. Who didn't like this? I don't know. Some asshole. I have a feeling that asshole is going to be like, it's boring. No. I, I don't... I don't... Which is, again, it's one of those things that, like, I can see that. I could see someone thinking that it's boring but just the i feel like it's on display of i feel like anyone that says that that movie is boring they're not they're just not trying hard enough like they're 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 not attempting to actually watch it and yeah and and let it wash over they're just they're (laughs) not their brain is turned off uh i thought i was like who would it be rex reed is that who it was (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's two people. It's Rex Reed. Oh my god! And the other one is a song I've never heard of. Of course, it's Rex Reed. But he probably did like it. He just wrote a bad review because that's what he likes to do. Uh, th- those are the only two that we predicted. But I did think it was interesting that Max Steele got a zero percent. Yes. <laughs> so I always, I always feel like I need to point out the zeros. They're they're good stuff. Yeah. I like the, the zeros. Uh, next week we have Jack Reacher. Never go back. Never. I'm pretty excited about this. I'll be honest with you, Kevin. I am pretty excited about Jack Reacher Never Go Back. The first one was such a surprise. Going into it, I thought it was just going to be another generic Tom Cruise action movie, and it was, but it was, it was so fun, so 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 better, so much better than I thought it would be. Okay. And uh, I got to say, I'm pretty excited about uh, this one. What are you thinking on Jack Reacher Never Go Back? Jack Reacher never go back. I'm gonna say 56. All right, 
Uh, I will say uh, 68 on that one. Okay. And we also have Keeping Up with the Joneses. This is the action comedy with Zach Galifianakis and John Hamm and uh, Gal Gadot. And is that is- Isla Fisher? Isla Fisher. Yeah. Um, yeah. This one doesn't look good to me at all. I'm not, no, not into this one. So I'll say 36. I'll say 24. All right. And we also have Ouija, Origin of Evil. Oh, boy. Did you notice? Oh, God. Did you notice how, like, over the last maybe five years or so, it there's only, like, one horror movie that'll come out on Halloween? Yeah, it's such bullshit. I, I don't understand why... I hate it. ...why that is the case. Like, it, it, it's Halloween time. It's October. Come out with the horror movies. Well, I mean, you do get two this year because you also get Boo on the Dia Halloween. You do. You do get that. That is something Which is going to be playing at my theater. Fuck yeah. Well, That's you. the only Halloween movie I get is Boo on the Dia Halloween. So I didn't see the original Ouija movie. I heard it was very bad. This one looks interesting, though, because it takes place in the 60s. And it just looks it looks more scary than the than the first one. Um it kind of has a a conjuring vibe to it. I mean, probably that's probably on purpose. Mm. Not saying it's going to be good. I'm just saying from the trailer, it looks better than the first one. Uh, what are you thinking on Ouija: Origin of Evil? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to say 44. I will say 42 on that one. Okay. In limited release next week, we have 31, which is the Rob Zombie movie. That's garbage. Uh, yeah, I, I I saw this right before I left for my trip, so I didn't talk about it on the show. But it uh, it is not good. It's, it's about mm. it's about a group of carnival folks that get kidnapped by um, a, a sadistic uh, family of clowns okay. that have to play sure. a game that involves different clowns trying to kill them. It's bad. It's bad. Mm. Uh, we also have Moonlight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for that one. Uh, that one's probably going to be quite good. Uh, In a Valley of Violence. I'm excited about that one. New Ty West. Okay. The, Han- right. the Handmaiden. <sighs> Highly recommend uh-huh. that one. We'll probably review that next week. Like I said, all these movies, they aren't going to come my way. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, Park Chan-wook. Uh, American Pastoral. Okay. I don't know about There's... that one. Yeah, that's somewhere. Yeah. Uh, King Cobra. There's... That's the one with uh, James Franco and Christian Slater. Uh, saw it at Tribeca. It's decent. It's about male male pornography. I remember you talking about that one. Yeah, it's uh, it's decent. Uh, the Whole Truth with Keanu Reeves. Fire at Sea. Fear Inc., which is another one I saw at Tribeca. It's a uh, not not. It's like the game, but kind of a horror themed version of the game. Okay, I remember you talking about that one as yeah, well. Yeah, it's not very good. Uh, Good Kids, We Are X. I don't know what that is. Maybe a documentary? Uh, Rockumentary, maybe? Autumn Lights. Uh, You can check out an exclusive clip for that on the site. Takes place in Iceland. Which, by the way, uh, have you seen the new trailer for Star Wars Rogue One? No. You got to check that out. Oh, it is is so good. I'm going to see it. Yeah, uh, part of it was shot. I don't want to know anything. Part of it was shot in Iceland. And... The beginning of the trailer is uh, clearly in Iceland, and it was—it looks amazing. Uh, the Uncondemned Courier X. Eh, that's pretty uh-huh. much it. 
Okay. Oh, that uh, on the 26th, October 26th, that Oasis documentary comes out. Supersonic. Thank, thank God. I know. I know. I'm dying to see how that how that I Oasis just, I don't, works. I don't understand how like they're still talked about and like relevant. Like, I mean, do they even make do they make music still? I don't even know. I don't. I don't know. But they had like two songs. <laughs> uh, yeah, they did. They did. But I, like I always hear about Oasis, and I just don't. I don't get it. I never really liked them, honestly. I hated them. I couldn't stand them. They're so awful. They were a little whiny. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Next week on VOD, we got In a Valley of Violence, Fear Inc., Mr. Church. That's the. I think it's a Disney one with Eddie Murphy. Oh okay. Uh, Stalker. Stupid name. Uh, Good Kids and Wizard Mode. You say Wizard Mode? Wizard Mode. I think it's a pinball movie. Pinball doc. Uh-huh. I think it's about a... I think it's about a guy... Maybe he has autism or Asperger's, but he's, like, really good at pinball or something. I was hoping it would, like, actually be about wizards. If only. We need a good wizard movie. We don't, we don't have a lot of good wizard movies. That is... We need some good fucking wizard movies. Yeah, I agree. People. Someone make a good wizard movie, please. I could really sit down for some wizards mm. and wizardry, and warlocks, and witches. That'd be cool. Cool. Uh, on Blu-ray next week, we have, again, still a whole bunch of horror re-releases coming out, including The Pit. Child's Play okay. is getting a really cool-looking box set. Independence Day Resurgence, A Bride of Reanimators coming out on Arrow. Uh, yeah. uh, by the way, I would highly avoid highly recommend avoiding independence day resurgence one of the worst movies i've seen this year <laughs> uh, is it worse than moonwalkers <laughs> i like how that's the that's the 2016 bar right there is moonwalkers oh no i should say it no it's zoom now i forgot it. zoom. Zoom. <laughs> it's zoom now is it worse than zoom um yeah i'm gonna say it is anyone <laughs> lose their dick <laughs> Anyone's regular sized penis replaced with a micro penis? No, no, I don't think oh, so. Okay. At least, uh, okay. Cafe Society, the Woody Allen movie comes out. I wanted to see that. Uh, Body Snatchers. This is the 1993 one. That's the Abel Ferrara one, I think. Right? I have no idea. Asking the wrong guy. Our kind of traitor. What we become. Special effects is getting a, a Blu-ray release. This is the 1984 one. I just saw this. For the first time not too long ago and it's it's a pretty fun movie eh, that's pretty much it 31 is getting a blu-ray release as well okay it's got a cool cover but don't let that fool you don't be fooled nah wait so it's car- carnival workers versus clowns mm-hmm but they're not from the same carnival dueling carnivals yeah the, the clowns aren't really a part of any carnival they're really just they're just they're just, they're just clowns. yeah they're just there come on now what do we have on the Criterion front next week? We have a box set. Del Toro box set. Yeah. Just Kronos, Devil's Backbone, and Pan's Labyrinth on Blu-ray. They're selling them individually, too. So if, yeah. if you only want one of them, you can pick them up individually. Yeah, that's pretty, uh, that looks pretty great. And then uh, Shortcuts is getting the old coming back out on the Blu-ray from Robert Altman, 1993, which is, that's a solid movie. I own that one. It's quite good. Never seen it. A lot of people in that one. A lot of people. Robert Downey Jr. Tim Robbins in that one? Yeah, Tom Waits. Yeah. Man, I mean, it's a huge cast. Julianne Moore, Beck Lemon. 
Andy McDowell. I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at Billy pi- Taylor. I'm looking at pictures. Of, I, I know there's a lot of people in it. I'm looking at pictures. No, I'm gonna name all of them. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on. Am I doing a right G in it? <laughs> I'm looking at pictures of the okay. Del Toro box set, and it looks pretty awesome. It does look great. The artwork and just how it's put together. Out yeah, exactly. Out. It's really, really cool. Very cool. Uh, all right. I think that that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. Now, if you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse, and consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. I'm Kevin Rakestraw. My name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.